at Regions Beyond Values this afternoon. Um, uh, I, Neil only knew this uh, later in the day um, as he was preparing his set list. Um, I just I messaged him, he'd already prepared and I said, actually on the back of last week, rather than go into the next um, value, which would be uh, thrilled and motivated by grace, um, I really felt the Lord kind of pulled me back again to uh, what we were talking about last week, which is being faithful to Scripture. And, and so what I want to do um, this afternoon is I want to almost do a part two of that, that first value that we looked at last week. So last week we, 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 we spent a bit of time just looking about the, the authority of Scripture and, and how, how it, is, it is the plumb line for everything that we do and believe in the church. That is, that's how we want to build. That's what we believe as Freedom Church. That's what we believe across... Um, reasonable churches and uh, across most, pe- most people who would call themselves Christians throughout history have believed that the Bible is the word of God and so that's kind of our, our starting point we spent a lot of time looking at, at that but I suppose and I suppose we, we just got to a place of thinking well what what, are, what is the so we believe that the Bible is authoritative that is it speaks with authority into what we believe and what we do but we also believe that the Bible comes as the word of God in power to uh, bless us, transform us, and to change the world. God says of his word, my word will not return to me void. And even as you look at the creation account, it, it is the word of God that brings, you know, let there be light, and there is. And, when Jesus, and so when the Lord says, let there be life, speaking to the Christian, or, let there, or he, there's a command comes, then it comes with power. And so we've, we've looked at the authority and we kind, of looked at, we kind of went into a little bit of what that means for us as a church and what that means in terms of expectation. But I suppose the expectation side from our personal uh, walking and, and, and engaging with Scripture is something that I want to look at uh, this afternoon. I almost fell into the old trap there of saying this morning. But if you've got your Bible, why don't you turn with me? I'm going I'm to read two different passages. I'm going to go from, I'm going to read Psalm 1. Um, and then I'm going to read uh, John 15, 1 to 11. So if you've got your Bible with you, you've got, you cleverly do something with your thumb to make sure that you've got those two passages open. They are both going to appear on the screen, if you can see um, behind me. So Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight... Remember last week we talked about the delight, the pleasure in, the treasuring of, is in the law of the Lord. That word law, kind of broad word, it's not not hard law, it is the broad law, the the instruction, the, the word of God. His delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. That is, he engages his mind with. Again, there's this idea of Eastern meditation, which is empty your mind, you know, um, that's not what we believe in. When the Bible talks about meditation, it's talking about uh, the, the, your mind is, is, is wrapped up in this thing. You are thinking about it. You're chewing on it. You're turning it over and you're applying it. He meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields or bears its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. What a promise. The wicked are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. 
Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But the, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. John 15. I am the true vine. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Isn't that interesting? You're clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone... Is that not working? There we go. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Again, amazing promise there. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Lord Jesus, just pray right now as we come to the, uh, your word and as we look at what it means to come to your word, that you would, your spirit would rest on me to communicate these things well and to, uh, to be truthful to what your word is actually saying to us. And Lord, I pray that that same Holy Spirit, that he would be resting on my dear friends here as they hear and as we together come under what you have to say to us. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see, as the psalmist says, wonderful things from your word. In your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. As I say, we've, last week we looked very, very much at the, the authority of the word of God, saying that we believe that the Bible is the, is the plumb line for everything that we believe and do. So, so we said that um, if someone was to come and to stand here and to say something that isn't in line with what the Bible says, then that person is wrong. Or if, if, we, if we come with ideas or um, maybe sometimes they sound good or, or culturally accepted ideas, um, that's, maybe they even sound moral, and yet they, they are out of sync with what the Bible says, then they have to be brought into line with what uh, Scripture is saying to us. And that's what we said about the authority of God. And we said that we want to be drawing everything that we do and everything we believe straight from it. There's a difference, isn't there, between someone who, who goes to Scripture in seeking truth and somebody who has an idea and then goes to the Bible to see if they can make the Bible agree with them. And, and there's a lot of that that kind of goes on in, in today's world. People kind of want Jesus to agree with what they believe. And so they'll go to the Bible and say, oh, Jesus, can, can I, is there a way I can make you believe, believe what I believe or say what I believe? And people do that. Um, but we want to be faithful to, what, to, to working hard to understand and to, uh, to make sure that what we believe and what we say is in keeping with 
the Bible. As I say, we believe that the Bible is straight from God. And that this is how he's chosen to reveal himself. Remember Psalm 19 last week? He's revealed himself through creation. Talked about the stars and the sun. And, and they reveal the glory of God. And then the psalmist goes immediately from that. Talking about how he's particularly revealed himself in scripture. So anybody, whether you've got a Bible or not. Or you know about Jesus or not. You can look out to the sky and you say, there's got to be more than this. This, this, this points to everything. Every, the sun, the stars, everything has got in the corner like a painting the name of God written all over it and then God reveals himself fully and finally through scripture there's a, a, a Thomas Aquinas the old philosopher medieval philosopher and theologian he, he says this you know philosophy ends where theology begins right? philosophy gets you to the point at the midway point of Psalm 19 of saying there's got to be a God and then theology kind of the study of the word of God tells you Yes, there is, and this is he, who he is. And so there's, there's something of that. And so all scripture is God-breathed. It, re- it reveals who God is. Um, but it being God-breathed means that it's not just authoritative, but it's also powerful, as I say. And so my kind of starting point here is, is I'm not going to try and argue anyone into believing that the Bible is the word of God. I'm going to start there and, and trust that you're there with me. I'm happy to have that conversation um, with anybody who wants to have it. Um, but it means that we take the book seriously in terms of what we believe, as I say. But also, it shapes how we read it. It shapes how we read it and our expectations of it. Because we don't treat it like a, an old law book. Because an old law book, you know, you, you read it and you go, okay, what, does it, what, is it, what am I meant to do today? Or this is my to-do list for today. No, we, we read it with the expectation that as we do, we are going to hear and see the very words of God. The God who said, let there be light. And there was. The same God who said, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. And Lazarus, who was dead, was suddenly able to open his eyes and obey. Though he was dead, he was able to obey because of the word that brought life. That is what the kind of expectation that we have when we come to scripture. So, it is, it is authority, it is a source of truth. We, are, we expect, when we come to the word uh, in times like this and in our own reading and in small groups, that we're going to meet with the living God. We're going to hear his words. Uh, uh, John Piper, a preacher and theologian, he says, if anybody wants to hear the audible voice of God, sit down, open your Bible and read it aloud. <laughs> Right? There's, there's, there's truth in that. You want to hear the word of God for you today? Open your Bible and read it. It is much more, reading your Bible is much more than learning facts. Some Christians treat their Bible as though it were a fact book about God. Or a story book about God. But the fact is, it's, it is, it is so much more. It is living and active, Paul says. Uh, the writer of the Hebrew says it's, it, the word of God is living and active it is uh, sharper than a two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit joints and marrow discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart there's a quote I, I, I can't remember who says it but it, 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 I should have looked it up before. but it, it was, he says this, speaking of the Bible this is a book that knows me right? the, the Bible comes powerfully and, and, and uh, uh, as, an, as, as alive as anything 
and it is able to discern the thoughts and intentions of your heart. You, you don't, can't plumb even the depths of your own heart. You, you don't even know what's going on. You try and unpack your motives for doing anything. You do something nice to somebody else. You, you dig down into your motives and you realise, I don't really know what's going on here. I, 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 everything seems murky. I, I, can, I can see this, but I can't see everything. The Bible comes sharp, to the point, scalpel-like, and says, this is what's happening. It's able to speak into your life in that way, powerfully. Things happen when I read this book, right? Things happen when I read this book. And I can tell you stories, and maybe I will, of times when God has just has met me in a moment in my reading of Scripture. I will tell you a story, actually. Um, I, was, I studied um, philosophy and theology at A-level, uh, along with archaeology. And, and I remember in those classrooms, in each one of those classrooms, there were questions that were raised. I remember particularly coming out of the philosophy classroom where everyone's kind of been dissecting every argument for and against God and, you know, in a real academic setting, you know, no one believes anything that they're saying because as soon as they walk out the room, they, kind of, they care what, they, what they're going to have for lunch more than, you know, if these questions really were in your head, you would... But anyway, there you go. That's why I can't take some philosophy seriously because, you know, show me it in your life, as James would say. <laughs> like, James is like, well, you believe this? Well, sure, show me then. Um, but, it, but I remember coming out of that one particular classroom moment and thinking, God, I, I know what I believe. It was, a, it, was, it was a time for me when I was, a lot of what I was believing and, and giving my life to was being anchored. And I remember saying, Lord, I, I know what I believe. I, I believe you. I believe you. But Lord, why do I believe you? And the Lord took me to uh, Matthew's Gospel where, uh, some of you have heard me tell this story before, but it took me to Matthew's Gospel where, where Jesus is speaking to his disciples and saying, who, who do people say that I am? And Jesus says, and, and, and they say, oh, some people say this, some people say this, some people say this. Jesus says, but who do you say I am? You know, points to them now. Who do, now you, not just people like that, now, who do you say I am? And Peter answers, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. Jesus says, aha, blessed are you, because this has been revealed to you, not by man, but by God. And in that moment, I realised the, the power of God's revelation. It was like a, it was like a, a big point in my, my life where I kind of actually it's anchored so much of me when I'm in those conversations. I know what I know because God has revealed it to me. He's revealed it to me, not by my reasoning out. I can reason it out. I can have those arguments. I, I think I'm quite good in that setting. And I can point to experiences. I can say, look, here you go. Here's a spiritual experience. But neither of those things are what I build my faith on. My faith is built on God having revealed himself to me. It's spirit and in word. And so that moment for me, it was just a kind of word came alive to me and suddenly God spoke into what I was doing. And, and God does that. The word is living and active. And so in this passage that we read, kind of John 15, uh, Jesus speaks to his disciples of his words as, uh, as coming with great promise in terms of what they do. And for them... He wants to raise great expectation of what his words will do in their lives. I hope you see that as you read it with me. Um, and I hope that's, that's something that we're going to see as we go through this together. Jesus expects outcomes from these guys hearing his words. And so we're going to look at, you know, what, what does the word of God do? Don't, what does it do? <laughs> uh, what, is, what it does? Sorry, I've, I've worded this in a very strange What does it do? How does it do it? And then how does that shape how we come to the Bible and to Scripture in times like this and in our own reading or in groups? Um, 
How does it shape that? And so the first thing we want to see is the word of God comes and it awakens and sustains faith. Right? The word of God comes and it awakens and it sustains faith. That is life-giving, freedom-winning, joy-filled, heart-purifying faith. That's what the Bible does. It creates faith. Now we know the gospel. We've been singing about it. We are saved by grace. Not by any work. Not that any one of us would boast. Because there's nothing in me that I could point to and say, this is why God has chosen me. This is why he's loved me. This is why he would send his son to die for me. I'm not worthy. I've not got anything I can point to. He has saved me because of something that was in him, not because of something that was in me. He has saved me by his great grace. And that's what we're going to look at next week. That's the gospel. When we tell people about Jesus, we're saying, there's nothing in you that would, would cause God to love you. And yet he does, because of who he is, he's willing to die for you, even whilst you're a sinner. It is grace. It is grace. It is his unmerited love for you that means that he is willing to save you, rescue you, and make you his own. And that is received by faith. That's the gospel. All you have to do is believe. And that wonderful gift of salvation, of friendship, of life in Christ is given to you when you believe. But even that faith is not a work of, is not your work. Right? So you can, it's very easy to think, well, that sort of just pushes work back to faith. Right? The thing I've got to do is I've got to produce faith. I've got to believe. I've got to you know, give yourself an aneurysm as you're trying to believe God. We're really going to believe in you today. I was like, you can do that. And some people do that in kind of in terms of where they pray for healing. Like, I'm just going to really make myself believe. No, no, faith is awakened in, by the word of God. Faith is awakened by the word of God. Jesus says to his disciples, you are clean. Why? Because of the word I have spoken to you. You were, you were not clean. And that word clean kind of means all sorts of things. Kind of contains within it kind of uh, spiritual cleanliness. The kind of the Old Testament idea of you've got to you know, do the ceremonial washing before you can come to the Lord and you can engage with him in worship. Jesus says, hey, no, you're clean. Not because of all this ceremonial stuff, but because of the word of God that has come to you and, and produced something in you, has, has birthed something in you. Peter, picking up this thought we, um, in 1 Peter, says this. Since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of an imperishable, through the living and abiding, that, that word abiding means it is, it is indwelling, it is taken up residence in you, through the living and abiding word of God. You've been born again because of the word of God. Jesus says this in John 8, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set, shall set you free. And you talk to some Christians, they don't know that they're free. They're living as though they were slaves still. I'm, I'm, I'm jumping ahead to next week, but, but there's this, when the word of God comes, and you receive the word of God, and you, you hear his voice, and he speaks these things to you, and you recognize his voice, his signature, his word, his power, come and they say wonderful things to you, and of you, suddenly you realize you're free. Suddenly you realize truth comes and breaks through all the lies of the enemy all the lies and knots that you've got your head into suddenly the word of god comes and cuts through all of it clarity 
and, and purpose and sets you free. And then Paul, as he's writing to the Romans, he says this. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. You want to, you feel like you're feeling wobbly in your faith. I tell you, the thing that the enemy wants you to do is not touch your Bible. You're struggling in your faith. He's going to do everything he can to keep you away from this life-giving, life-sustaining word. The best thing you can do is read it. Let's go to it. Or, or if you can't bring yourself to open it, I know sometimes there's, there's weariness. I'll tell you, ring somebody up and say, just, can you, just give me a Bible verse. <laughs> just give me something to read. Give me something. Or read something. I tell you, it will, it will break through. It will break through. And I've seen it happen again and again and again. It awakens and sustains faith. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So he's been talking about this image of, of branches and vines, right? You know, a fruit tree and the branches. The branches bear fruit if they're connected to the tree. If they're not connected to the tree, hey, guess what? They're not alive. You go... Why is, this, why is this branch not bearing fruit? It's been on the compost heap for three weeks. And you're thinking, why? Where, where are the apples? It's, it's apple season. No, there is, the, the life comes from being connected to the one who is the source of all life. And what Jesus is saying, hey, look, if you abide in, in my word, and my word abides in you, you're going to bear fruit. We'll get to more of that in a moment. We could hear this line, if you keep my commandments and you, you will abide in my love, as being one of, of Jesus saying, well, I, I don't love you unless you keep my word. I, I don't want anything to do with you unless you keep my word. And some people can read that and go, oh, that kind of, that kind of sounds like that's what Jesus is saying. But, it's, but that's, you, it just, that jars with everything else that he said in, in this passage. He's, he is saying, I have loved you. And I want you to enjoy that love. How are you going to enter into the enjoyment of that love? It's by abiding in my word, keeping my commandments. Keeping my commandments, not as in keeping the rules, but keeping them as in keeping them in your heart, treasuring them in your heart. Because as you do that, you'll find, wow, this is, it's like, it's like the, the, you know, imagine if I, I receive love letters from Jen you know, and, I'm, and, and I never open them. And then I come away thinking, well, Jen doesn't love me. Jen doesn't love me. If I opened them and I saw them and I, and I let them do their work, I would know and I would enter into that and I would enjoy that. And that's what Jesus is saying. You want to you bear fruit. You want to know my love. You want to grow in faith and in maturity. Draw from my word. Draw from my word. Because it's not just words. It is the power of God. The word of God is the power of God. Jesus says, for I have loved you. The means by which, as I say, that, that Jesus has given to us to live in his love is his word. His word comes. Some Christians will want to divide the word of God and the spirit of God. And, you know, like, this is for theologians or I don't, who, who even begins to read Obadiah? What, what is that? You know, all of those things. And you realize, actually, you know, when you hear the psalmist speak, Psalm 19, Psalm 119, talks about the word of God. You realize this is treasure. And it's sweet like honey. And this is what Jesus is talking about. This is what he wants us to see. So it awakens and sustains faith. It produces fruitfulness. It produces enemy-defying, circumstance-overcoming, eternally-enduring, God-glorifying 
fruit. The Christian is called to be fruitful. Do you know that? Sometimes we don't feel that. I feel like I'm just, just, being, I'm just going from one week to another, just beaten up. I don't feel very fruitful. I don't feel like I'm reigning in life, which is what, Jesus, which is what uh, we're told that we are. Hey, you reign in life. I don't, I don't feel like I'm reigning in life. Jesus says, you, my, my Father will be glorified by you bearing fruit. And so I'm one, isn't it? You know, the one who, who doesn't walk in the, the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night, who uh, he's like a tree planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in season, his leaf does not wither, in everything he does he prospers. That promise is true for those who plumb themselves into the word of God. Now, what is fruitfulness? What is fruitfulness? Because... You can look at yourself and go, if there's anything going wrong in my life, I'm not being fruitful. Or, or you can think, you know, fruitfulness looks like worldly success. But the, but the truth is that, that, that worldly success and godly fruitfulness are not the same thing. Right? Godly fruit, sorry, worldly success and godly fruitfulness are not the same thing. And so you could be, and as I say, look, we've got these friends in these places of the world where they are, they're being persecuted. They are bearing much fruit. Jesus is a very, very fruitful man. And yet where does he bear his most fruit? It's when he's also bearing the cross. And there's the fruitfulness, the fruitfulness of being plumbed into Scripture and into God's Word and enduring that. Hey, it comes powerfully. That fruitfulness is, it is, bear, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this next week, but the kind of the, those, those good works, Ephesians 2, right? Yeah, that you have been rescued, redeemed, brought into life by the Word of God, as you are, you are also made into more and more like Christ to, to do his works in the world. That, that wonderful image that Michael brought of the, 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 you know, the, I don't know what you call them, picture you put your head in, picture you put your face through. And like kind of, we look more and more like Christ, we're bearing fruit in maturity and the works that we do. We've got wonderful opportunities to do that in North Hall. Wonderful opportunities to bear fruit in North Hall. But in our own lives, Paul talks about the the, the fruit of the Spirit as jo- love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These, this is the fruit. This is the fruit that God wants to produce in your life. If you feel like you lack self-control, you feel like you lack gentleness, you feel like you, you lack peace. Oh, I, just, I just feel like there's a constant war in me. I abide in the Word and let the Word abide in you. It will produce this fruitfulness. Jesus saw wonderful salvations around him, wonderful healings. You want to see that? You want to see that kind of fruitfulness? Abide in the word. Abide in the word. This wonderful promise that, that, um, that comes in Psalm 1, in everything he does he prospers. Jesus says, uh, John 15, ask for whatever you wish and it will be given to you. That's fruitfulness. That, that seems amazing. That seems amazing. I, don't want to, I can't go into all of what those promises mean, but they... But what it certainly means, it means that, that God is certainly for you. It means that he wants you to, to, to prosper, not in the sense of worldly success, as I say, but, but in the spirit, in joy, in knowing the treasures of heaven, maybe at the cost of everything else, in living life that, that resembles and reflects the love of Jesus, that kind of fruitfulness. That is what God is calling us to. Hey, when I ask that word, Ask whatever you wish. If, I'm, if I am plumbed into the word of God, if I'm abiding in the, the, the tree, 
And then I will bear fruit. I will bear fruit. I will prosper. And if I'm asking, whatever I ask will be given to me if I'm asking according to the will of God revealed in the scriptures. Wonderful truth. Wonderful truth. Now what I don't want to do, and it's very easy, I'm just going to interrupt what I'm doing at the moment. What I don't want to do is, it's very easy for me to preach a sermon like this and the big takeaway that everyone comes away with is, well, I'm not reading my Bible enough then. <laughs> right? and, that's, and, it's, and it's very easy for that to be the big takeaway um, for two reasons. One, because it's probably true. And two, because the enemy loves to accuse the believers. That's his name. He's the, the accuser. He will do what he can to, to try and separate you, to, to secretly kind of pull you off as much as he can from the, the, the tree to, to stop you being fruitful. Right? That's not what I want you to hear. I want you to see, what I'm saying is, as I talk about the word of God, is I want you to see that this is something to be treasured, something to be enjoyed, that it is offered to you. It is not just another thing to go on your spiritual chores list. It is a, it is a, it is a banquet laid out for you. It is a treasure laid before you. Here it is. This is, this is to sustain you and to, uh, and to bring you joy and life. It's not a millstone for your neck. It's not a millstone for your neck. We talk about uh, these as habits of grace. You know, you can think of them as you know, reading your Bible, praying. You know, suddenly they become chores and you like, say, oh, I'm free. And you, really you've just, you just put another millstone around your neck. No, this, is, this comes as a, as a gift. It comes as a gift. To, and I, I tell you, it will, it, will, it will be a gift to you when you receive it as, as one. So it awakens and sustains faith. It produces fruitfulness. And thirdly, it reveals to us the glory of God. And in doing so, it transforms us to be more and more like him. We said a little of this last week. That kind of, uh, you know, we... When we read the Bible, we see the glory of God. Now, it's possible to read the Bible or to hear it taught without any of those things happening to you. Right? You can read the Bible and it doesn't awaken and sustain faith. You can read the Bible and it doesn't, um, what was the other one, produce faith, uh, fruitfulness. And you can read the Bible and you don't see Christ. And you don't see Jesus. In fact, Jesus again and again finds himself coming up against the religious leaders of the day who know their Bibles I would be willing to bet better than any one of us here who can recall chapter and verse as you like and yet they have not seen or received the word of God. Jesus, he is the word of God and they don't recognise him as the word of God because they've just been reading the Bible like it's, like it's a book or it's like it's a, something to impress God with. Do you see, hey, God, have you seen how often I read my Bible? Have you seen how early I get up and... Have you, let, show, let me show you how well annotated my, my Bible is. All right. These guys, these are like that. And, they, and so they miss Jesus. I love how Jesus responds to these guys. I love how Jesus responds to these guys. He, he, they come to him, they challenge him, they question him. And Jesus says things like to them like, have you not read? <laughs> like, like they haven't. Of course they've read it. And he says, have you, have you not read this? Or one of my favorite ones is Matthew's Gospel. Um, the, the Pharisees come up to him and say, I notice that you're hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus' response, this is, this is just 
classic Jesus. It's just brilliant. He says, go away and study what it means to, that when God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. <coughs> These guys who, who, who know their Bible, who spend it hours and hours a day studying it, and Jesus gives them homework and says, go away and find out what this means. He doesn't, doesn't even ask their, answer their question. He just says, go and, go and have a think about what the Bible says, what it means when it says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I just, I just love how Jesus deals with them. And then he says this in John 5, you search the scriptures because you think that by them you'll have eternal life. But, if, but it is they that point to me. Right? These guys, they are, they're in their Bibles. They're trying to you know, use their knowledge of the scriptures to sort of bend the arm of heaven to you know, let them in the in club, the in crowd. The, 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 you know, we're the, we, we are the good ones. We're the religious ones. And that's how they use the Bible. And Jesus says, look, if you knew your Bible, you'd recognize me. You don't recognize me, you don't know your Bible. And then he says in John 8, and this is, his, this is his, one of his most damning lines, my word, speaking to these same guys, my word finds no place in you. I remember Peter says, we've, we've received the, the, not an imperishable seed, but the, the imperishable one, the word of God that bears us into new life Jesus says to these guys you're searching the scriptures you've not seen me and my word has found no place in you You, they're just words they're just words they're just words they're just words and they find no place in you it's not just about reading Paul kind of talking about these same guys says this and we said we read this last week but I'll read it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 for to this day when they these religious leaders these people who are caught up in religion not knowing Christ when they read the old covenant that's the old testament their bibles that veil remains unlifted only through Christ is it taken away yes to this day whenever Moses is read talking again of the old testament a veil lies over their hearts but when one turns to the Lord to Jesus the veil is removed now the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's a line that you'll hear people's quote. It's talking about the Bible. <laughs> where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Of course, it has wider implication as well. And we all, and, and Michael alluded to this earlier, we all now with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from what this, into the same image, from one degree of glory into another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Amen. There is this wonderful promise. That those of us who have seen Jesus, who have met with Jesus, suddenly the veil is pulled away and we see the glory of God. And as we do, we are transformed. Paul says that happens when you read or hear the Bible or hear it being taught. That's what should be happening in your heart right now. The veil is there, lifted away and you see Christ. It's what I do when I preach. I want to show you Jesus. I'm not trying to teach you facts about the Bible. I'm trying to show you someone and introduce you to someone. And as you see him, you will be transformed and you'll be made more and more like him. Jesus, and this is something I say to, to guys when we teach, um, uh, teaching the Bible. We say Jesus is both the lens and the object of all Bible reading. He's both the lens that you read everything through. Right? So Jesus says, all of, you know, the Bible's all about me. And Paul says... It's only through Christ that that, that that veil is lifted and you can see clearly. Jesus is the lens and the object. So when you read the Bible, 
we, we come expecting to see Jesus. And when we read the Bible, we read it through our understanding of who Jesus has shown himself to be. It's amazing. When you go through the Old Testament and you read the Bible in that way, you'll see truth after truth after truth as God reveals himself in glory. Remember how we did Gideon? What a great story Gideon is. It makes so much more sense when you know Jesus. That's what, that's what the Bible does. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And when we do that, when we see Christ, we are transformed, as I say. Paul says when he comes to the Corinthians, he says to them, you know, when I came to you, I decided to know nothing. I decided, I made the decision. I'm not, I'm not going to know anything. Because Paul, with his great learning, I know nothing except Christ and him crucified. That's my one bullet in my gun. And so it's the, it shapes every sermon. Jesus has died for you. Jesus has died for you. And so I never want preaching here, just as Paul was saying there, I don't want preaching here to ever become, here's a great moral lesson, or here's a lesson about God, or here's a fact book about God, but I want you to see Jesus, to see Jesus and to be transformed, as we say. And that's, that's the kind of the, the theology of how, right? How does it produce fruitfulness? How does it awaken and sustain faith? Well, because it opens your eyes to be able to see Jesus for who he is. It open, opens your eyes to be able to see Jesus for who he is. And what's amazing is that all of this, seeing the glory of God, awakened and sustained faith, fruitfulness, happens... No! Hello. <laughs> ha- yeah. <laughs> all of those things... This is going to be an interesting recording. Uh, yeah? Where's mummy? Alma. Alma. Uh, children are a preacher's gift. They are, they are full of illustrations. <laughs> I'm sure one day that will be one. Um, uh, but yes, where was I? I have a two-year-old son. Um, yes, all of those things happen. <laughs> all of those happen as you read and as you hear. Those things are things that don't sound spiritual, do they? Reading, hearing, they don't sound spiritual. And yet, Paul says to the Ephesians, when you read this, talking about his letter, talking about the scripture, when you read this, we said this last week, you will perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Amazing. Paul, who caught up into the glory and having seen and having these wonderful things revealed he says when you read these things when you read my letter you share into sharing that revelation you share into that knowledge of the mysteries of christ you think well you know, we, just this, we're so distant from the kind of the man of god theology you know he's the one who he's come from the mountaintop and he's coming down to reveal knowledge no, when, when you read the bible you hear from god yourself when you hear the Bible taught, you hear from God. Paul says again to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2 verse 7, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Okay, those two simple things. Reading and thinking. Reading and thinking. That sounds like a bit of like a boring academic exercise. And yet the promise of God is that when you read your Bible and think about your Bible... He is going to come and reveal his glory to you and awaken life in you. And so it's no wonder then that when 
the Psalms open with this, this invitation to meditate on the law day and night. Or, to, or, or when Joshua takes over leadership of the uh, uh, Israelite uh, camp after Moses' death. The, the thing he hears is the Lord comes to him and speaks to him and says, meditate on my word day and night. Do not turn from it from the right to the left. Right? You meditate. That word meditate, as I say, it kind of contains, you're thinking about these things, you're reading them and you're thinking about them. And it almost certainly contains an element of memorizing as well, which is, which is a very practical way that we can do that. And I'll talk a little bit about that in just a minute. I'm going on. But um, as I say, as I engage my mind and my heart in the very natural act of reading or listening, God is at work to reveal himself to me and transform me through these words. Many Christians, as I say, would love to hear God speak to them. They would love to hear God speak to them day after day. You know, you've, you've, got, you've got things going on in your life right now that you think, oh, God, if only you could, I, could, I would love to hear what you have to say about that. And the truth is, he speaks. He speaks through his word. He speaks through his word. I've seen some Christians kind of treat their Bible. Have you ever seen those, like, those magic eight balls where you kind of shake it? Like, like, yeah. You know, like, um, does she love me? Don't count on it. Or whatever it might be you know like people and people kind of treat their bible like that like i'll just thought let's just open it up and see where it lands and then i'll treat that as god's word for me today no the the bible is all for you always and it requires reading and thinking now there's an amazing thing like, there's some amazing things of you know i love that on my phone i get at nine o'clock every morning it buzzes and i get a little ping and and the verse for you today pops up and and those things are, are amazing but i tell you when you see them in their context and you see how the the thoughts line up and these chains link together you realize these things are amazing you know there's words the little passages come like diamonds and then when you see them together you see wow this is a this is a beautiful chain interwoven together and so it requires some work and reading we've got to let it as i say we need to soak our thoughts in it and so as i say i just want to talk a little bit that happens in our personal reading and our study. Um, I said that this last week we want to set aside time. I don't. As I, say, I could, I could, I know I could tighten those screws and make you feel like I don't read my Bible enough. But I'm just the invitation is here. Meditate on day and night is that is the invitation of Scripture. That kind of that is put it in your head. Put it in. You know, set your day by it. You know, there's a like. You know, what are you going to do in the morning? You're going to reach for your phone and start. You know. And kids call it doom scrolling on Facebook or whatever. Just what's the or what's the news say today? Or are you going to go to what is God speaking to me? What what are the truths? And it might just be that you just read one or two passages, or you read for five minutes, whatever. You read a page. God just speaks. I tell you that is that is life giving. The wonderful Bible reading plans out there. Um, you can get an app on your phone that you know the Bible app is full of Bible reading plans, and if you. Struggle to read sometimes. I, I sometimes struggle to read. I'm probably one of the slowest readers that I know. Um, you can there's an audio version, and you can listen to the listen to the Bible read to you, and you can listen to uh, the devotions on these apps read to you, and you can just you can plug yourself in and, and do it. And as I say, uh, that that uh, meditate day and night almost certainly has an aspect of um, memorization as well. And I tell you, the the great saints that I know have committed to memory and a lot of the bible and that's not just to say like hey you do this and again you could do that in a way that the pharisees did you know just memorizing scripture but i tell you you know jesus is well equipped when the devil comes because he has 
scripture at hand. You know, they, they are arrows ready to just be plucked from the quiver. If you, if you can memorize a few key passages, uh, one, you know, just Psalm 1 is a great one. Um, Philippians 4, 6, you know, do not be anxious about anything but in everything. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to the Lord and he will guard your hearts and your minds with, in Christ Jesus. That is another great one. I tell you, there are, there are things that are worth having in your pocket when the enemy comes. Um, and so I would say uh, committing some to memory is helpful. You know, it's, it, it's one thing to be able to say, you know, Jesus loves me. Um, but it's another thing to be able to go to your Bible and say, see, he does. Right? You can, it's one thing to know that Jesus loves you and be able to point to blood poor promises. And then secondly, communal reading, receiving, teaching, preaching. Um, the Bible tells us very clearly that not all of us should presume to be teachers. So we are very open-handed with, with gifts here, and yet we kind of... Um, and so I, I, I'm not super protective, but, we, but there is an element of actually the, the pulpit must be guarded. And, and so when someone comes up to preach, they, they, their life should be in line with what they're saying. Um, and, yet, and, and the Bible speaks very highly of that, that gift and that work. And it is a gift to us. You know, there are great teachers in the room. And, and even those of us who might not stand, ever stand here have wonderful things to share with the rest of us. And so we want to draw from one another. I tell you, you've been, you've been brought into a family. If, you, if you're in need, a great place to go is anyone else in this room. And they will, I'm sure they will be able to point you to things that the Lord has said. And we'll be able to help you and direct you. Um, I say preaching is central, I said all this last week, central to these times when we gather that Acts 2 passage, you know, devoted to the apostles' teaching that is part of what the church looks like. So the question is, are we making the most of these moments? You know, James says, you know, be, 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 don't just be hearers of the word. You know, you can you have a load of people come to church every day and every week and, and the pastor says something or the preacher says something and everyone's nodding and going, yeah, oh yeah, no, that's a good point. And yet, kind of, we all go home and, and you don't see any of it, right? Paul, uh, James, you know, it's quite pointed, I really like him. He says, you know, if anyone has wisdom, go on then, let's see it. <laughs> let's, let's be doers of the word, not just hearers. And so there's a challenge here, you know, am I, how am I going away and doing what I'm hearing? What am I going to go away and do after hearing Josh speak today? And there is a kind of, and, and that's to be worked out with others, and it's to be worked out in your own heart with the, with the Lord. Um, Jesus says, doesn't he, after his Sermon on the Mount, he gives that, that famous story, wise and foolish builders, anyone hears my word and, and does nothing, he's like a builder who builds his life on sand, anyone who does, hears my word and, does, and, and, and puts them into action, he's like a wise builder who, who builds on rock. So that's the kind of where I kind of want to land there. We want, to, we want to apply what we're hearing. If we believe that the word of God really is the word of God, we're going to come to it with great expectation. As we come to it with expectation, we're going to be transformed as we see the glory of God. We're going to have faith awakened in us and sustained in us. And we are going to be fruitful. And in all of those things, we're going to put those things into practice. And so that's kind of my other half of what I hope wasn't so much but certainly hope isn't now is this sentence making less than sense teaching on the word of god that we were looking at last week and so i just as i say the enemy will come and he will try and make my point you should be reading your bible more that's what he'll do so if that if that's going in your head just kill it (laughs) But, but the invitation is hey this is treasure 
This is treasure. This is feast. Let's just pray and then we'll end there. Yeah, Lord, I, I thank you that you've revealed yourself through your word. I thank you that you've made yourself known. And I thank you that you give to your people food every day, like the Israelites in the desert, manna from heaven. Here it is, daily bread. You know, we, we need the word of God, every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so, Lord, we, we thank you for how you've provided for us in, this wonderful, in these wonderful scriptures. And even just as we've been worshipping, hearing those stories of how God has spoken to people, and Clive's word there and, and Pauline's word uh, from the psalm there and you're thinking oh God is, God's word is alive and active and it's giving us what we need when we need it and Lord I just pray that as a church as a family together we would be well sustained by your word and that you would raise faith such faith in us to be able to move mountains and to bless the nations and North Hall that we would be fruitful Freedom Church would be fruitful, that each of us would be fruitful as we draw from you. Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen.